0: Matthew 15, we have been in the book of Matthew for 20, this is the 26th week, and this morning we're looking at um, a really interesting incident. This is where, you know, we've been seeing this trend, right, where Jesus' interaction with the crowds, you kind of have a couple of groups. You have the crowd, and inside the crowd are some people who are genuinely interested in Jesus and in following him. You have others who were outsiders and are like just sort of like just curious. Then you have some people who were just like the the hanger honors, the people who just like the show and and who seem to just be like just interested in the miracles and not in Jesus, right? And Jesus has been kind of dealing with them a little bit. But then you have the Pharisees and the scribes. These are people who are coming from the current or religious establishment and they are not happy about Jesus, okay and at this point in jesus's ministry you see this this interaction begin between him and the pharisees and it's unpleasant okay and he's becoming more aggressive in a way maybe if i could say that uh towards them in rebuking them publicly okay this is the first time for example that you see him call them hypocrites okay and this is a shift and what you're going to see happening is the tension grows all the way up to the point where they have him killed, okay? So we're beginning to ramp up towards the cross at this point, okay? Okay, so um, let's look at Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. It says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Make note of that phrase, the tradition of the elders. For they do not wash their hands when they eat, He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, quote, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well, or rightly, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Okay, a couple of things I want to, we have to explain like that may not be clear, all right, about the whole like honoring father and mother thing, okay? Um, Jesus doesn't really answer their question, first of all. You know, no, that's like they... Come to Jesus and say, you there's this rule from the in our tradition, okay, not from the law, not from God, but from men, that they had created a an oral tradition that you do this very specific ceremonial hand washing before you eat. And I had all kinds of rules. It was very specific. I mean, you can read this stuff now because eventually it gets written down and it's no longer an oral tradition. it is like exactly how much water you should pour over the hands how when in what order do you wash the hands very very specific kind of uh kind of very legalistic kind of rules okay but it was not from god okay this is from men and that's the key point they rebuke jesus because his disciples are not following the traditions and then jesus his retort is not to say well and to defend them against that accusation. Instead, what he does is he accuses them of something far worse. What he says, there is a law from God, not from men, but from God, that says honor your father and mother, and if you revile your father or mother, you should be put to death. Okay. But apparently they had a tradition that allowed a son or a daughter to take money they had received, maybe from the sale of land or whatever it is, and give that to the temple while letting their parents basically be homeless. So they neglect their parents and then do this great public, generous gift gift to the church of all this money, meanwhile neglecting their parents. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Your human tradition is contradicting man's tradition. You're okay because... You're okay with this son neglecting his parents because he's giving a lot of money to the church. And you just let it slide because you say he's so generous. But can you really call him generous if he's not generous to the people God commanded him to be generous to? So Jesus is going on the offensive. He's not even defending himself. He's just saying, wait a minute. You're a bunch of hypocrites. That's what he means by that. So the Pharisees attack Jesus because his disciples are not obeying the oral tradition regarding the ceremonial hand-washing. Jesus asks them why they elevate their human traditions over the commands of God himself, and this is the issue he's dealing with here, and this is why he calls them hypocrites. So Jesus' quote of Isaiah there, I think, is the interpretive key to the whole section, where he Jesus is pointing out two related problems, okay? First you have, they're appearing to be pious on the outside while neglecting the wickedness they have on the inside. And this leads to creating new commandments of men that must be taught as doctrines equal to the commandments of God, okay? One is connected to the other, they're not separate problems. Lip service, which is just a way of saying... You, you you run your mouth about how pious and holy you are and how much you love God, but then if you look at the things, what does God actually tell you to do? And you ignore what God tells you to do, but you appear holy at the same time. And the only way to do that and maintain that facade of piety and holiness is to create rules, right? Rules that you can keep. So we'll say, Well, I go to church every Sunday but I don't think about God or talk to him Monday through Saturday. So you create a, and and then you put that on other people, because that's the only way to maintain it, right? Now you have to follow my rule in order to be holy, and forget about what's actually going on in your heart and in your life. That's just one example. We do all these, we create these, and we call them, we treat them like doctrines. And then we judge each other. Based on how we're keeping the tradition of the elders, the traditions of men that we have put on each other, and neglect the stuff that actually matters. This leads to hypocrisy before God and bondage for God's people, while the so called pious rulemakers lord it over those who cannot manage to keep the man made rules consistently. This is what Jesus accused us. Pharisees of later, he said, you you travel miles and miles to make someone else, to put a burden on someone else that they cannot carry, to make a convert to Satan, he says, and to put a burden on their backs that they cannot carry. That's what he's talking about. Or, Moral priority is given to the shallow things of lip service while neglecting the deeper things that do matter, like gossip, slander, murder, covetousness, lust, selfishness, those issues. And we focus on what people wear, what people say, how they talk, how they pray, not if they pray, it's how they pray. You sound really holy when you pray, therefore that must be a great prayer. And you must be really saved. You must be extra saved than the rest of us. This is why, by the way, an abusive man can be tolerated in church leadership because he's good behind the pulpit and makes the church grow This is why, behind the scenes, other people on the staff will say, he's a real jerk. He can't take correction. He's not friendly. He's not kind. He's not nice. He treats his wife terribly. His kids are miserable. His life is in shambles, but when he gets on the stage behind the pulpit, he does a great job, so we just tolerate it. Well, that guy's really good behind the mic. He's got a great voice. He looks cool with a guitar. His life is in shambles, but it's cool because people come. People love the worship. We just keep him there. This is why. It's hypocrisy. It's lip service. Jesus is not too happy about it, Right? So Jesus is striking to the heart of the problem with the Pharisees and ignoring their silly question about the— he doesn't even care about the hand-washing. By the way, wash your hands before you eat. All right? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, take, don't miss the point, right? All right? I don't, want, don't, don't be serving me food and not washing your hands. All right. So Matthew 15, Jesus gets more specific, okay? If you're feeling a little like, ouch, he gets a little more specific. And when God gets more specific, he gets more convicting, right? So 15, verses 10 to 20, this is the rest of this moment. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I love this. Jesus... You offended the Pharisees? Because <laughs> remember, these were important people. Like at this moment, this is the first time Jesus comes at them like this. And up until this moment, everybody revered these guys. They thought they were, these are like, this is the guy who really knows how to lead and pastor a church. This is the guy who really knows how to write good books. This is, these are the important, smart people that everybody looks up to in the church. And here Jesus is just going at them, like right out in public. And they're kind of like, what are you doing? Verse 13, he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Uh Uh-oh. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Yes, we are. Do you not see that whatever comes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, and your translation probably leaves out, into the latrine, but that's in the Greek. Please don't sanitize my Bible. All right? my, my Bible at least had a note, a little footnote into the latrine. All right? Yours probably has the same thing. Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to be more specific so you understand the analogy, right? Imagine food going into your mouth. It just passes through your body and goes out into the retreat, right? It doesn't make you who you are. But, verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone, okay? So Jesus is illustrating his point. The Pharisees are obsessing about and putting people in bondage over what they eat and how they eat it, the commandments of men. Yet they are not concerned at all about what comes out of a person's mouth, which is the commandments of God. God says, don't slander, don't lie, right? He says, and Jesus says, what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. I think this is also interesting that he says what comes out of your mouth defiles a person. Because this stuff has a reciprocal, sin has a reciprocal relationship with your heart. You say something in anger in a weak moment, maybe you're a little hangry or a little tired or your frustration's been building all day and you say something gross, right? Something angry, some gross thing. And... Not only is that defiling to everyone who hears it, but it's also defiling to you. It makes it now easier to say the next horrible thing. This is how sin works. You do it once, and it kind of calls back into your heart and says, wasn't that nice? Let's do that again. Next time it'll be easier. Just keep on trucking. It gets easier every time. And so the thing, the sin that you commit defiles you. So it's not a one-way thing like this fountain of sin coming out, the more you sin, the more you like it, the more it defiles you, the worse it gets. Jesus is not saying, by the way, that only the heart matters to God. It's a common bad thing to say. God just looks at the heart. No, he doesn't just look at the heart. What you do matters, okay? The point is not to be like, have... Clean, as long as my heart's right, I can do terrible things that God says not do. That's a common thing that people say. I can't help who I love. Well, yeah, you can. If I just said to Heather, I decided to love somebody else, she'd have a problem with that. And so would my kids. Right? They're all looking at me like, don't even say that out loud. What I do and what's in my heart are connected. God cares about both of them. Jesus doesn't ever say, I don't care what you do. He says, what you do tells me what's in your heart. What you say tells me and you what's in your heart. That's who you really are. In those weak, unguarded, unfiltered moments, what comes out of you, what you actually do when no one's looking or when you don't care anymore who's looking, what comes out of you is really you. It's your heart. It's what Every gross thing is in there. That's why those people who the worse things get, the sweeter they seem to become, it's amazing. That's what's in their heart. If a prayer comes out of you when you're frustrated, wow, I just want to be you. I want to be like you. Like when you get pinched, you go, oh, Lord, instead of some other less holy phrase. Comes out of you. I mean, out of you, not me. I would. I mean, I'm the professional. I don't do those sorts of things. See, this is a harsh. This is what it means to grow up in God. This is what it means to be a, a Christian grown up, as you start to come clean about what you actually are inside, and you stop pretending like I didn't mean that. Have you ever said like, if you had a bad argument with somebody you love? Like a close friend and you just got mad and you, and you later you said you know what yesterday we were talking and we both said a lot of things we didn't mean. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. That's immature. You actually both said a lot of things you didn't mean and you said it the way you meant it. And now you're embarrassed and you regret it. Yeah, we both said a lot of things we regret. But Jesus would say, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What came out of your mouth and the way it came out was what you really thought and what you really felt. And you were finally actually honest. And now the answer is not to go, we didn't mean it. The answer is to say, I meant it and I feel terrible and I don't want to mean it. I meant it, but I wish I didn't mean it. But I did. And the way I said it was unfiltered, and it was wrong, and I wish I hadn't have said it. I regret saying it, but doggone it, I meant it. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's pointing at the Pharisees and says, you're walking around pretending like you don't mean it. Pretending like all you got to do is whitewash the outside of yourself and pretend, and that's all God cares about. What comes out of a person's mouth indicates what is in their heart, what comes out of a person's mouth can defile their own heart and the heart of others. So, this means that you are what you do, and you are what you say. Not just in the moments of your greatest moment of self-control and self-restraint and piety, like right now, I'm standing in front of a bunch of people. And I have things that I plan to say. And I'm only saying, Jenner, I'm trying very hard to only say the things that I plan to say. This is me at my best. My best moment. This is as good as it gets for Ben Cotton, right here. <laughs> this is my bu- most buttoned down. Right. I showered. <laughs> I brushed my teeth. My armpits smell good. I need a haircut, but it's okay. it's, not, it's kind of in that zone. I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, too many out-of-order things. I'm sticking to the script, right? This is me at my best, and you, it would be easy for you to think, this is what I'm like all the time. That's baloney. Because when I, you know, it's like, you know, politicians are famous for when they don't have a teleprompter, things go sideways. Well, when I'm at home and my kids are getting on my nerves, which never happens, it's never their fault, it's always my fault, and I don't have a script, and I don't have my Bible in front of me, and a bunch of people and cameras pointed at me, it's not exactly the same. Now, I try to get them to line up pretty good, but let's be honest, who I am in those moments is who I really am in my heart. That's scary, because if you're like me, you start thinking about what you're like when you're like that. Surely that can't be me. That's just because I hadn't had a Snickers bar. <laughs> and if I just had a Snickers bar and my blood sugar is a little higher, I'd be transformed into who I, who I really am. No, who you really are is the monster when you haven't had a Snickers bar. This is part of growing up into a mature person, coming to terms with the fact that who you are when you are tired, frustrated, angry, hungry, or otherwise uninhibited is who you really are. It is not true that you're, people say, well, I'm a happy drunk or I'm an angry drunk. No, who you are when you are uninhibited is who you actually are. That's why being drunk is a problem because being uninhibited <laughs> creates problems. I need my my inhibitions, whatever the the correct... I'm sure Dad knows what the opposite of inhibition is. (laughs) I need my inhibitions. Uh, You get the point. This is the main thing that separates a Pharisee from the rest of the crowd. A Pharisee points at his best moment of greatest public piety and wants to claim that this is who he really is. This goes back to the church leader, public figure. He says, who I am when everyone's looking is who I really am, when the truth is that's not true about any of us. And Jesus publicly calls them hypocrites, which you can imagine he's, he is causing that public facade to begin to crumble in front of everyone, and this is why they want him dead. It's because he dares to poke at the holes in their public piety and say, you're not pious, you're wicked, you're hypocrites, And they can't have that. They can't stand it. And so they're going to kill him over it. That's what drives it. He knows it, I think. So you are who you were at your worst moment. Sorry. But, but, Jesus says, you can be who I am at my best moment. At Jesus' greatest moment of sacrifice at the cross and at his greatest moment of triumph at the resurrection, he says, you can be me at that moment instead of you at your worst. If you are a follower of Christ, you are like Jesus at his best moment. It's even weird to say Jesus has a best moment because he's perfect, but you know what I mean. Not you at your worst. If you are not in Christ, all you have is your worst moment. That's the only thing you hold is you at your worst, powerless to change it because it is who you are and you need to face that fact. It's not like who you managed to be at your best moment when you managed to somehow react the right way and you have been walking around saying, that's who I really am. Deep down, I'm really a good person. No, who you are is who you were at your worst moment. And if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing but that. But in Christ, you can say, that's not who I am anymore. Yeah. yeah, that's gross what I did and what I said. Oh, but that's not me. You know who I am? I'm Christ the cross. I'm Christ coming out of the tomb. I'm him at his best moment of triumph and his greatest moment of sacrifice That is who identifies me. And when Jesus looks at me, he says, that is who you are, and that is how I identify you, and that's why we can be friends. It's because I don't see you at your worst. I see you at my best. That's the gospel. Jesus rejected the commandments of men while at the same time fulfilling the commandments of God in your place. So you don't have to be in bondage to the traditions of men that want to constantly, we do it to each other, all right? It's not some nameless, faithless group out here of Pharisees, as Zach so perfectly pointed out this morning. It's you and me. It's how we talk to each other. It's how we walk around. It's how we act when we're around each other. It's how we respond to someone when they make a fool of themselves or make a mistake or have their worst moment in front of us. It's how you relate to people when they've had their worst moment. Are you going to be a Pharisee or are you going to say that's not who you are? Who you are is who Jesus is at his best. When we do that, we minister life to one another. We say, I'm not going to be a Pharisee. I'm not going to be a hypocrite to you. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to show me where I am putting that on other people without knowing it. a lifelong task, I think. So that's what I'd like to pray for us. I, I don't want ever, I don't ever want to be found in the bullseye of Jesus' accusation of hypocrisy. I don't want to ever be find myself standing there in the crowd with my Pharisee buddies standing next to me, going feeling really good about ourselves and looking down on the one who's saying, "You hypocrite." I don't want to be that. I want to come humble. I want to say, Jesus. Without you, I'm just me at my worst. And me at my worst, it ain't pretty. (laughs) That's where I want to be. So let's pray. I want to pray for you. I also want to pray for anyone that doesn't know Jesus in this way. I think a lot of times we become Christians. And really what we think we're a Christian, but really what we did is we just decided to agree to be a Pharisee. We, we said, okay, I can, I, think, I can, think I can be a good Pharisee. But you never actually wrestled with Jesus and received his identity over your own. And so I want to pray for those people too. So why don't we all stand up together? I'll start there and then I'll pray for the rest of us. God, I... God, I pray for anyone here who has sort of agreed to try to keep the commandments of men without actually reckoning with what you say about them and who you are. God, for anyone who's been trying to keep the facade, the facade of outward piety without a dealing with their heart, and without just receiving you and your identity, your best day for their worst day. God, I pray that you just take the scales off their eyes. That in this moment, they would actually see you for who you are, and that they would see themselves not just at their worst, but at your best. And God, I pray for all of us that you would show us where we have been hypocritical. Show us where we have tried to squeeze ourselves into a form of godliness without addressing the source in our heart. God, where we have been dishonest about who we are. God, help us to not put burdens on others, even unintentionally, that don't belong there. Help us to focus on the things that actually matter according to you, that we would receive our definition of what matters from you and not from each other, not from our own desire to look impressive. God, I pray for those who who feel like they have over and over failed to measure up to the false burden the false idea of goodness and faith and piety who feel like failures but God in truth they are heroes of faith because of the things they overcome just to show up somewhere to get out of bed in the morning and make it out of the house because of the things they are burdened with in their own soul God, I pray that they would be encouraged this morning that you say over them, you are not you at your worst, you are me at my best. God, help them to see themselves the way you see them. God, help us to measure success differently. God, we need your help in this. We don't want to be blind, guys. God, we don't want to be the blind leading the blind into a pit. We want, we really do want to have the real thing. We sang it this morning, and God, we pray it now that you would do it in us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.